0: Well, amen. I appreciate you all leading us tonight. We, uh, I pray God's done that in your heart if you've been a part of this week of meetings, that God has drawn you closer to himself. I, I'll be honest with you, you know, my church is in midtown Atlanta, and uh, so we don't, we don't do much bluegrass music, you know, and stuff. But I, I asked a friend of mine not too long ago, I said, man, what's your favorite kind of music? And he said, I like them both. I said, both? He goes, yes, yeah, Southern and Gospel. I like them both. And so, I like them both, blue and grass. Anyway, we are grateful as we continue. Man, just ask God to move and to touch hearts and to speak to us. And if it's truth and filled with the Spirit of God, then God says it's worship. And so... We must worship in spirit and in truth. Some of you have been, how many of you have been here every night of this meet? Man, a bunch of you folks. Y'all get the like perfect attendance award. I'm always a little um, leery and this is my second time being with Pastor Jared and actually revival and coming back and it's kind of like y'all keep coming back for more and it reminds me of the old story about a guy who had an elephant and he would travel all of the country, this elephant, he would do elephant tricks and then he'd get to the end of his elephant show and he'd say, I'll pay anybody one hundred dollars who can come up here and make this elephant rear up on his hind legs like this. Well, he'd travel all the country. People would pay money to see him do his elephant tricks, but nobody could figure out how to make his elephant rear up on his hind legs like this. Well, he made the mistake of going to this one small town, doing his elephant show, got the end of his show, and said, I'll pay anybody $100. We can make this elephant rear up on his hind legs like this. Well, all of a sudden, this mean, little, wiry old man got up from the back of the tent with his pitchfork in his hand. He walked up to the backside of the elephant, and he stuck <laughs> that elephant's his backside. That elephant reared up on his hind legs like this. Yeah. <laughs> well, the guy thought, I've been found out. I've got to come up with a new routine, a new show. And so he thought and thought. And he decided, I'll pay anybody $1,000 who can make this elephant go like this and then go like this. The guy traveled all the country, made more money than he made the first time. But he made the mistake of going back to that same small town where he'd been before. He got the end of his circus show and he said, I will pay anybody $1,000. He made this elephant go like this and then go like this. Well, that same little wiry, mean old man from the first time got up from the back of the tent with a pitchfork in his hand. He walked up that elephant. He looked that elephant square in the eyes and he said, do you remember me? That elephant went like this. (laughs) And he said, do you want me to do it again? The elephant went like this. I don't know why, but that's kind of how I feel tonight. I'll keep keep coming back for more. I want you to take your Bibles and find Hebrews chapter 11 tonight. And uh, while you're finding Hebrews chapter 11, I, I do want to say... I don't get a chance tonight to say thank you all for uh, just being such gracious hosts and uh, loving on me and letting me feel like a part of your family here at Green Pines uh, this week. You you do know, by the way, if you're saved, we's cousins. You know that, right? (laughs) We we are family, and you guys have definitely made me feel like family this week, and I just want to say thank you, and thank you for praying for my wife and for my My family, I would mentioned that she went to Haiti a few weeks ago and I was home alone with the kids. And so I know she's making a great sacrifice, but she believes in God's call in my life. And this is a part of what we do. But I promise you, I could not do what I do without a loving and encouraging wife. And the truth of the matter is, when it's all said and done, uh, most of you will probably not even remember who I am. And the only thing that matters is whether or not I was a faithful minister to my wife and to my kids. I promise you more than anything else, that's how I measure you can come up to me and say, Pastor Larry, that was a good word, or you really blessed me, or you're a really godly, but you don't know me. You really don't, not based on what happens up here. Uh, the real measure, I believe, of any man, whether he be a preacher or not a preacher, is his ministry at home. And so I appreciate you praying that God would continue to use our home to be a place that glorifies him and honors him. And these past few days, as I've preached to husbands and wives and moms and dads and teenagers and young people, I promise you I'm preaching to me too. I need the reminders. A man once said, show me two men and one dog making their way down the road, and I may have trouble telling you who's the master of that dog. But after a short time, if those men come to a split in the road and go their separate ways, I'll have no trouble at all telling you who is the master of that dog. Why? Because that dog will follow his master just about every single time. Life is filled with intersections. Every single day, those of us who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ wake up at an intersection. We've got to decide who is going to be master of my life today. I want to be the type of man where every single time I get at what, to one of those decision-making places, there is no doubt in anybody's mind, Jesus Christ is master of my life. I shared last night, my goal in life is to be faithful, faithful to God and faithful to my family. I want to be faithful. Hebrews chapter 11 has been called the great hall of faith. Some say Hebrews chapter 11 is filled with the heroes of the faith. One man said the message of Hebrews chapter 11 is have some heroes. Know the stories of great men and women of God who use their influence for the glory of God. Know the biographies of businessmen who realized that what they had had been given to them by God and they used it for the glory of God. Know the stories of godly women and godly moms who use their place and station in life as a place to bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but i like to have heroes in my life. I'd like to have people in my life who stir me on or who challenge me to be everything God has called me to be. We don't have time tonight to walk through all of those, but I want us to look at a brief uh, biography or section of the life of Abraham and Sarah as they faithfully followed God. Each one of these verses begin with the phrase, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And I want you to understand something tonight. I believe that biblical faith is not complete blind faith. Sometimes people say that faith is a blind faith. Like, well, I just don't know and I don't know anything about God. And I just, you just trust, you just trust him. Not, I believe Faith, stay with me, is confidence in the character and the nature of God to fulfill his promises. And because he's been faithful in the past, I can trust him with my future, which I cannot see. But in order to have biblical faith, you've got to know some stuff about God. It is not a blind faith. The reason some of us have such a difficult time trusting God by faith with major decisions in our life is because we don't really know the character and the nature of God. But I promise you, when the doctor tells you you've got cancer, or the doctor says you've lost the baby, or your employer tells you you've been laid off, you better flat know some stuff about God if you're going to stay faithful to Him. So each one of these people in hebrews chapter 11 they understood some things about the character and the nature of god so they were able to trust him with their future decisions there are some folks in this room and you've got to make some serious decisions in the near future as far as maybe where you're going to go to school as a young person or what your profession is going to be or maybe it relates to your family and being moved to a different city because of a job opportunity or maybe you're considering marriage or just decision after life is filled with these intersections how do we Faithfully follow him. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 8. If you've got it, say got it. If you don't, say hold on. Man, y'all are good. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. Here we go. By faith. By the way, is that blind faith, church? Thank you. By faith. Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith. He dwelt in the land of promises in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith. Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Say what? Verse 12. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland, and truly if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better that is a heavenly country. Don't miss this. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. God in heaven, we ask you once again to honor your word tonight. God, I pray for those families who are at a place of decision making as it relates to your perfect will and way for their life. God, I pray for those who are at a place where you're bringing them to a place of understanding that you died for them and you paid the penalty for their sins and you're asking them to respond to you in faith and trust you as Lord and Savior. I pray tonight you would overwhelm them with who you are, overwhelm them with your perfect plan, overwhelm them with your grace, and that today will be a day of salvation for them. God, would you speak through your word, please, through the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Faithfully following the will of God. Number one. When it comes to faithfully following the will of God, what we are is more important than where we are. You might even say who we are is more important than where we are. A lot of times you ask questions about God's will. You say, should I take this job or that job? Or should I go to this school or that school? Should I live in this town or that town? Well, as we begin to study scripture, we learn that when it comes to God's will, the real issue isn't so much where I am. The real issue is, am I who or what God wants me to be right where I am? Verse 8, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he received as inheritance. We could literally translate that while he was being called, Abraham obeyed. It's the idea of instantaneous or simultaneous obedience. The idea in the grammar that the text wants us to understand is that when Abraham sensed God's calling, Abraham started to move. Now, I don't know if Abraham moved that day, or he moved that week, or if he moved that month, or if it took him a year to get all his affairs in order. But I do know this, based on the text, when Abraham had a clear word from God, Abraham obeyed God at that moment, which leads to the principle, delayed obedience is disobedience. If you were to do a word study in the Bible on the will of God, and look up the place where the Bible talks about the will of God Almost without exception, it always talks about godly or holy living. As you guys make your way through this series, and this week is dedicated to obedience, First Thessalonians chapter 4 says, This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Romans chapter 12 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, which is a reasonable act of worship, that you may prove what is that good or acceptable or perfect will of God. Almost every verse of the Bible dealing with the will of God deals with who I am or what I am more than it has to do with where or what, where I am. The real question, the first question as relates to the will of God is this. Am I obedient? Am I who God wants me to be right where I am? If you were to come to me and say, Pastor Larry, I'm really trying to make a decision about God's will in my life. How do I decide God's will? I would say, well, obviously we start with the Bible, because there's some things we really don't need to pray about. You know, I'm thinking about marrying this old boy and he don't love Jesus and he's a pagan and a devil worshipper, but I'm thinking about marrying him. You think that's God's will? I don't have to pray about that one. It's really clear. It's really clear. We start with God's word, we pray. We seek godly counsel. I believe God speaks through other believers sometimes. We look at the circumstances and how God is at work in our circumstances. And let's say you th- go through all those things and you can't, still can't decide whether or not you should go to NC State or you should go to Carolina. Some of y'all are like, no, that's easy. That's in the word too. Anyway, <laughs> I was worried that the tournament would get in the way of, you know, the, the revival meetings or whatever. And a Sunday night, Duke was playing. I said to Pastor, you think it's going to get in the way? He goes, no, the Duke fans are the ones that need to be here more than anybody else. So... <laughs> He said that, I didn't say that. That's a quote. Was I not supposed to repeat that? Was that like pastoral confidence anyway? But let's say, you honestly, you've been offered scholarships to both places. You'd see no biblical reason why you should not go to either one of those. Godly counsel, people you trust, can show you benefit for either one. And you're still kind of just like, I still don't know what to do. You know what I'm going to tell you to do? My next question is going to be this. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? Well, the Bible says this, a couple things, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you, right? So my first goal is to seek God, seek his kingdom, his agenda, his purpose, seek righteousness and God promises he'll take care of the rest. The Bible also says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Stay with me. If I'm delighting in him, I am seeking his kingdom. I'm seeking his righteousness. I'm seeking his purposes. And as I delight in him, you know what he does? He changes the desires of my heart. Here's a statement for you. The more mature I am in Christ, the more I can do what I want to do, because what I want to do is what he wants me to do. The more mature I am in Christ, the more I can do what I want to do, because what I want to do is what he wants me to do. And again, this is all based on the, the idea that you started with God's word and you really are, which is a difficult place to be. I've removed my own agenda and God, as best I know how, by your grace, I want your agenda in my life. I want your righteousness in my life. I want your kingdom to be magnified in my life. As best I know how, God, I want what you want. I believe at that point, stay with me, it is very difficult for a believer to be outside the will of God. I think at that point, and God is not obligated to do anything other than to be true to his character and nature. I believe at that point, God says, you sought me first. You sought my kingdom, my righteousness. I'm going to take care of the rest of it. And God is best I know how. I'm trying to make a godly decision, and I'm just going to do what I think is right and godly, and God has to deal with the rest of it. The more mature I am in Christ, the more I can do what I want to do, because what I want to do is what he wants me to do. So the first principle when it comes to faithfully following the will of God is what we are is more important than where we are. Number two, and we got seven of these. We better get with it. Number two, making a choice always means making a trade-off. Making a choice always means making a trade-off. When I enrolled in college in 1988 at the University of Central Florida, I was a pre-med major. Ever since I was 10 years old, I said I wanted to be a doctor. Every pre-professional student at the University of Central Florida had to take a pre-professional class on Friday afternoons. Pre-law, pre-vet, pre-med, pre-dent. We were all in this class with a guy named Bud Behringer. Dr. Beringer was a jerk. Well, you, you may be related to him. He wasn't spirit-filled. Anyway, so Dr. Beringer, his job was to talk us out of these pre-professional tracks. I guess it worked because I'm not a doctor. But every Friday, he would give us a take-home message. The idea was this. If you don't get anything else out of this class, this is the one take-home message for today. And I still remember that first take-home message from August of 1988. And here it was. Choices and trade-offs. He said, for every single one of you who say you want to be a doctor or a lawyer and you're going to take this pre-professional track, there are going to be some significant trade-offs as a result of that choice. You will not have the free time a lot of your other classmates or peers will have. You will not have the social life a lot of other students in their university years will have. You will probably incur some additional debt as you work your way to this particular career path. If you want this elite type of profession, then you're going to have to choose it and trade off some other stuff. Did you know the same thing is true when it comes to God's will and God's very best for your life? Look what happens next in the text. The Bible says, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place where he received his inheritance. And here it is. And he went out Let me say to my Spanish-speaking friends, I know I talk fast, and mi espanol is muy mal, and I don't speak espanol, but anyway, I'm sorry, que pasa, that's about it. Okay, here we go. (laughs) And sometimes I shouldn't say everything I think, should I? Here we go. And (laughs) he went out not knowing where he was going. I don't know a whole lot about Abraham's past. I do know that Abraham was a fairly well-off uh, businessman and had lots of sheep and camel and things like that, you know, agriculture. And I imagine that Ur was probably home for him. And, you know, maybe Abraham and Sarah were members of the Loki, local country club at Ur and had just gotten that new Mercedes camel that had come out, you know. I don't... <laughs> All I know is that if he wanted God's best, he had to leave behind what was familiar and comfortable to him. And it, not necessarily that Ur was a bad place, but it wasn't God's place for Abraham. And Abraham leaves not knowing where he's going. I imagine how that conversation went with Mrs. Abraham, with Sarah. Hey, honey, God spoke to me today. Well, it's about time Probably started something like that if it's half your marriages. But anyway, <laughs> what did God tell you today? God says it's time for us to move. Oh really? Well, where did God tell you we were moving, Mr. Thang? I, I don't know. He just told me to leave. In order to have God's bash. A lot of times you've got to say no to some good stuff. Be willing to leave your comfort zone and make some sacrifices, and there are trade offs when it comes to the best God has for you. There's some of us, if we're not careful, we get so guilty of holding on to a certain new book today called Counterfeit Idols, which is anything that becomes more important to us than God is. And we're holding on to these things and this stuff. And it's like God is saying, I got something better for you. And you're at this faith, this crisis of belief. And really, all sin is, is lack of faith. in God, God, I don't trust you. And you're at this place where God's saying, trust me, let this go. I've got something better for you. And most of you, you're not out doing the big bad sins. You're all, all up in the club getting your groove on or whatever you all do up here in Nightdale. Listen, you, you listen, you're not running around in your wife. You're not doing drugs. Pretty good old boy. I'm telling you, God didn't just save you to be a good old boy. If you want God's best, there will come times in your walk with God, Brother Mike, where you have to leave. Not know where you're going, but all I got is Jesus, and a sure word from him, and I trust him. There are choices, and there are trade-offs when it comes to faithfully following the will of God. Think about something with me. When Jesus Christ calls the Apostle Peter to follow him, what had Peter been doing all night long? Fishing. What was Peter's profession? Fishing? How many fish had Peter caught that night? None. Good job. Jesus tells Peter and the other disciples, who will eventually become disciples, go back out, lower your nets on the other side of the boat, and they catch so many fish that their nets start to break. And it's on that very same day that Peter left his nets and followed Christ. Peter was a fisherman. That's what he did for a living. On that day, it's most likely that Peter caught more fish than he had ever caught in his life or professional career because the nets weren't prepared to handle that many fish. So it's very likely that on Peter's day of greatest potential financial gain, he left it all to follow Christ. When it comes to following God, there are choices and there are trade-offs, but following God and being right with God is better than this old, anything this old world can give you. But you've got to know something about God before you could do something like that. Number three. When it comes to faithfully following the will of God, it is not just about you. It is not just about you. Verse 9. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Question. Who is Isaac in relationship to Abraham, his son? Who is Jacob in relationship to Abraham, his grandson? Why, well, Abraham's decision on whether or not to leave Ur, to trust God, to move forward, it didn't just affect Abraham, well, it affected Sarah, it affected his son, it affected his grandson, the truth of the matter is, it affected an entire nation, If you ever try to share Jesus Christ and the good news of the gospel with people, sometimes you might get this response. Well, I believe religion is a private matter. I believe faith is a personal issue. No, it's not. So your decision this week about whether or not to respond to God in obedience doesn't just affect you. Ma'am, your decision this morning about whether or not to wake up and spend time with God and walk according to the principles of the Word of God, it doesn't just affect you. It's not a personal decision. I am I'm intrigued by the uh, the rapper Eminem. I don't know if you all know who Eminem is. I, I said something one time about Eminem, the sweet little lady came to the after service, and she said, would you explain again? Now, what has Eminem Candy Company done wrong? I don't quite understand. And so... Eminem, is a, he's a white hip-hop rapper, multi-platinum. When he first came on the scene, he had this song that said, uh, said, I'm sorry, Mama, I never meant to hurt you, but tonight I'm cleaning out my closet. And then he said, I wish you could see little Haley, which I guess was a little girl at the time. And he says, but you'll never see her. I won't even let her come to your funeral. I'm like, dude, like even a guy on death row is like, I love you, Mom. You're number one. You know what I mean? What's You're going, why is this guy so angry? What what happened in this guy's life that is so vulgar and, and just like, what's up? Well, if you learn about Eminem's life, you can you begin to learn that the man who fathered him and his mother made some very poor choices that relates to the righteousness of God. It had a radical impact on who he is today. Listen, it's, it's not an excuse because he's old enough to know better, but it sure does help you understand why he kind of is the way he is today. I, I don't know if you. You watch the news today. There was a middle schooler. They're talking about these texts raging. A middle schooler yesterday got so mad at what a girl text, texted him. He sent her texts. I'm coming over to break your neck. Went to her house. She is in a medically induced coma tonight because he literally beat half her brains out. Literally. Well. I was listening to the news before I came over here tonight. Come to find out he's being raised by a guy who's not his dad because his dad has been in and out of jail like 40 times. The guy he's living with has been in and out of jail. I mean, it's, it's a mess. Sir, it's not a personal decision. It affects how you treat your spouse. It affects how you treat your coworkers. It affects how you treat your neighbors. It affects how you treat the person who's serving you in a restaurant or at the grocery store, at the gas station. God, through his word this week, has said to some of you, in his grace and love, there's some things that need to change. You've got to make a decision am i going to trust god not just for my sake for the sake of the people who work and live around me see god's put some of you guys in position where the decisions that you make they affect co because you're in charge and you run some stuff and whether or not you run your business with godly principles or ungodly principles affects not just you and not just your co-worker but affects their families God's put some of you guys, some people in this church in positions of leadership and influence and whether or not you respond in godliness based on your personal walk with God will affect whether or not this church experiences a revival and is on God's agenda. It's not a personal decision. It's not. Number four. God's things come to those who wait. God's things come to those who wait. Says he was dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Verse ten, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. There are two things in verse nine and ten that I do not like. The first thing I don't like in verse nine is that word tents. I don't like camping. I don't like, like, I have an idea. Let's get, like, this cloth thing and go sleep on the ground with the snakes and bears. Like, to me, that's not fun. I'm like, if I'm going camping, I want a Winnebago or Prevost with air conditioning, microwave, satellite TV. I don't like camping. It does nothing for me. The other thing I don't like waiting, I don't like, is waiting. I don't like to wait. Anybody's computer boot up too slow for you? Anybody probably get a computer booting up, right? My wife and I first got married, we, uh, we had a, our kitchen. We painted it Cajun Spice Red because it's hot. And in this Cajun Spice Red kitchen, we had one of those old-fashioned looking black rotary phones, you know. Some of you are old enough to remember the rotary phones. Like if you were going to call somebody... You'd have to like like my area code is seven seven zero. So you'd stick your finger in the seven and spin around and wait for it to go back and then stick in the seven wait for it. and like don't have to dial a zero because that's like all the way over there. <laughs> I was on a flight from Atlanta to Dallas one day and it's about an hour and forty minute flight and just as we and I I'd, I'd been flying a bunch then and so I got like free upgrade to first class and that whole I mean it was nice and but just as we get outside of Dallas the captain comes on and he says. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be delayed and have to circle for like 30 minutes or something, you know. And I remember distinctly my mind thinking, oh, this is going to take forever. I think we're going to be up here all day long. and you know, I'm just like, oh, this is miserable. And a thought occurred to me in that moment, you know, this is still quicker than a horse. <laughs> I don't like camping and I don't like waiting. But the bible says that abraham lived in a twin tent dwelling in the city of promise waiting on god waiting on god to, for a city whose builder and foundation or maker is god if the message of verse 8 that is abraham didn't want to get behind god the message of verse 9 and 10 is abraham didn't want to get ahead of god god i don't want to build a home i don't want to build a future i don't want to build a career I don't want to build a family unless you build it. The Bible says, unless the Lord builds a house, its laborers build in vain. My city, probably like your city, a lot of people moved because the economy was moving. There were some jobs opening up. Man, what a great opportunity to get a promotion. And so listen, the money was good. They moved to a city. All of a sudden, their family is all messed up. And they're asking the questions. God, why did you send me here? And I wonder how many times God says, you never asked me. Well, I went to that school because that's where mom and daddy went. Because they had a good football team. I married that guy because he seemed like a hard worker and because, you know, he seemed like a good guy and he treated me right. You never asked him. I don't like tents and I don't like waiting on God. But the message is this. I'm not going to build anything. I'm not going to get ahead of God unless God tells me to do it. And God's things come to those who wait on him, which we will see spilled over into the next principle when it comes to faithfully following God. God. And can I just tell you something? Just because God doesn't show up overnight doesn't mean that God's abandoned you or God's not kept his word or God's not faithful. Which you will see clearly in this next point. Number five. God's grace is greater than our struggles. Verse 11 is an anomaly to me. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Anybody else see a problem here? You read your Bibles. Let, let me set the stage for you because some of you you maybe not have a biblical like history and know what's happening. God comes to Abraham and Sarah, 74, 75 years old. The Bible says their bodies were as good as dead, which meant they weren't having no babies, Right? God says, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of a nation. Your offspring will outnumber the stars of the sky that will be as innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. The name Abraham means father of many. I mean, the name Abram, which is what his name was at the time, means father of many. Uh, can you imagine Abraham walking maybe down the, the uh, side seaside of the Sea of Galilee? Some old guy sitting there having to cook out a fish fry or something. And I see Abraham walking up. Howdy, stranger. How are you? What's your name? Name's Abram. Oh, Abram. That means father of many. How many kids you got? I, actually, I don't, I don't have any kids. <laughs> hey, y'all, check this out. This guy's named Abram. Ain't got no kids. That's a good one. That's funny. You should change your name. God does change his name to Abram. He has a breath mark. So it goes from Abram to Abram. Breathmark, Abraham. God changed his name from father of many to father of a multitude. Imagine that conversation. Hey, guys, look who's coming. It's old Abraham, father of many. Ain't got no kids. Oh, no, guys, God changed my name. Really? What did he change it to? Good thing he did. Changed it to Abraham, father of a multitude, right? <laughs> 12, 13 years later, still no kid. Now, stay with me. They had a very clear word from God. Still no kid. Abraham's wife, Sarah, says, well, I have an idea, Abraham. Why don't you go in and sleep with the maid, Hagar? And then we can fulfill the promise. And Abraham, being the dumb guy like we are sometimes as husbands, okay, honey, if you think that's best, you know. (laughs) Stay with me. And we are still paying the consequences of that wrong decision. You you may not realize it, but the Arab-Israeli conflict comes from this child right here. Another 12, 13 years passed. So now we're 25 years... Can I say it again? We are 25 years removed from a clear word from God. If you're like me... I'm kind of like, God, it's been 24 hours. What's up, right? Don't let it be a week or a month or a year. Well, you know, my spouse, he just, he, he'd been unfaithful and walked out, whatever else. And I mean, I waited for a month. That's another sermon. God comes to Abram and reaffirms the promise going to make the father of a nation. Your offspring will be as innumerable as the sand which is by the... They will outnumber the stars in the sky. They'll be as innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Sarah is standing outside the tent, and what does she do? She laughs. The angel of the Lord says, why did Sarah laugh? And Sarah says, I didn't laugh. Oh, yes, you did. Some say Sarah laughed because she doubted God. Some say Sarah laughed because she doubted herself. Some say Sarah laughed because not only did she have a worn-out hope, she had worn-out body, and she was tired of being disappointed. The truth of the matter is sometimes we laugh too. God says, I can take your old deadbeat of a husband and I can radically change his life and turn him into man of God. I can take your church and use it to turn Nightdale upside down and reach all the way over to Triangle Park and turn these universes. Well, you know, we're just simple. (laughs) With all that in mind, what is Sarah doing? Hebrews chapter 11. What's she doing there? And she trusted God and God gave her. What's she doing there? I'll tell you, the only way she got in Hebrews chapter 11 is the same way you and I get into the kingdom of God. It's grace. It's only because of the grace of God. And just because there are times in your life, in my life, where we get to the intersection and we make a poor choice doesn't mean we're disqualified for God's blessings in our life. See, here's the deal. There's some folks in this room, and if we were to put your testimony up on this screen, dude, you have flat-blown it. There's been some times you've done some, and sin just makes you stupid. That's a Greek word. Look it up later. You've done some stupid thing. And the devil would not just have you believe that you have failed, but that you are a failure. And though maybe I'm saved by his grace, I'm going to heaven, but God could never use me in a significant way. I'm telling you, the Bible says where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And make no mistake about it, the only thing that nailed my Savior to the cross was my sin and your sin. Sin is serious, but his grace is that more serious and sufficient. And if you are going to walk in the will of God, you better get a good grip on understanding that it's only by His grace. But for the grace of God, so go I. You know that big list of sins in Corinthians? Big list of who's not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven? You know how it ends? And as such were some of you. Dude, don't you forget where you came from. You are what you are. Because of the blood... Of Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sin? (laughs) Nothing. Nothing. Nothing but the blood. God is calling some of you tonight. To fall on your knees in a fresh way. And to thank Him for His grace. To ask Him for His grace. To ask Him for His mercy and for His forgiveness. Some of you are walking in a guilty distance from God. And there's stuff in your life that flat should not be there. As God says we, we're praying and asking God for a spirit of revival, there, there will be no revival until we get honest about the fact that we need revival and need a fresh touch and need to get back on the right road. The only way you're going to get back on the right road, sir, is not by doing better and trying harder. is by pleading for God's mercy and grace to get you there. I shared on the first night of this meeting, the Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It is not until you and I humble ourselves and admit that we need his grace, that he gives us this grace. And as long as we are prideful and act like we've got it all together, we get a stiff arm from God. Number six. When it comes to faithfully following the will of God, a dead world cannot satisfy an alive spirit. A spiritually dead world cannot satisfy an alive Spirit, verse 14. The Bible says. For those who those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better that is a heavenly country. What the text is saying is this at any point along this journey, if they had thought about and going back home and the old way of living and the old crowd and the old lifestyle and the old gods or whatever else, at any point in this journey, they could have turned around and gone back. But guess what? They didn't want to. They didn't want to. God change their desires. Why, one of the evidences of somebody who's been saved and somebody who's been born again and the Spirit of God living inside of you is that God changes your desires. I want to, I want the things of God in my life. I want to know the Word of God. I want to be used by Him. I want to be the godly man. I want to be the godly woman. Could I go back and turn back on the things of God and the things of the faith? Sure I could, but I don't want to. It's kind of like when you're a kid and you, you get that first, um, I used to have those, those big wheels, you know, I guess they still have big wheels. I remember the, you had the big wheel in here, and the, the cool ones had like the handbrake, so you could do like a 360, and then they came out with the green machines, and the green machines were like the, the Corvettes of big wheels, and so once you get a Corvette, a green machine, why do you want to go back to the old big wheel, but then you get your bike, and you've got traded wheels, and so, you know, you're riding your bike, you don't really need the big wheel quite as much, and then you get a bigger bike, and then you get a car, you know, and so you don't really want to go back to the big wheel, and then some of y'all start jogging, which I'm like, why are you jogging, you got a car, but anyway, so... Once you taste the mercy of God and the things of God, once once you know, hey, dude, sir, you ever put your head on your pillow at night and felt like I'm right with God? You know that feeling? You ever put your head on your pillow at night and feel like, you know, I got peace. I mean, I have a whole lot of stuff and a whole lot of things and a whole lot of accolades, you ever put your head on your pillow at night and go, you know, I'm right with him. Once you know what that tastes like, there is nothing else in this world that will ever provide satisfaction. And the believer is miserable outside of the will and the way. There's enough time in every single day to do everything God has for you to do in that day. Now, I'm, I'm just a pastor of a small church, and I travel a little bit, but I'm busy and not half as busy as y'all are because I only work like one day a week so at weeks like this, you know, but y'all are busy. <laughs> and you're, you're trying to do this and be that. You got to be this at work and be this to the neighborhood and be this at church and be this to your family. And you're bu- you, you, you get busy. You're like, how am I ever going to get this done? Can I give some? There's enough time in every single day do every single thing that God wants you to do. And to put your head on your pillow at night and say, you know what? I know I did what God wanted me to do today. God, I know I did what you asked me to do today. You're going to have to deal with the rest of it. (laughs) This whole world and chasing after the things of this whole world will never satisfy the believer. God, I just want to be right with you. Some of you, you're saved, but dude, you're miserable. You're on all sorts of medication. I'm not preaching against medication. We need them, you know. I take my cholesterol pills so I can eat all the barbecue I want, right? (laughs) But you are so worried and stressed out and the cares and concerns of this world have gotten such a grip on your life. They might not even be bad things. Working hard and putting in eighty hours a week, you know whatever. Is that what God wants you doing? Because I know this is, or is it because it's something you're chasing after? Number seven. Our separation endears us to the Savior. Our separation endears us to the Savior. Verse 16 to me is a jewel that is tucked away in the scripture. And if you're not careful, you will, you'll miss it and you'll rush right over it. And if you're like me, until I systematically was studying this passage, I've missed it. Look what happens in verse 16. But now they desire a better that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed. To be called their God. Do do you see what's happening here? Based on the fact that they didn't want to get behind God. Right? They obeyed when he was called. Based on the fact that they were willing to make these choices and trade-offs. God, I trust you. Therefore, based on the fact that they didn't want to get ahead of God. Based on the fact that they were recipients of the grace of God. Based on the fact that their desires had changed, their wantings had changed, the Bible says God is not ashamed to be called their God. Several years ago, before I had my own kids, a friend of mine asked me to take their son to baseball practice. We got to practice a little bit late. He ran out onto the field while practice was already going on. I went and sat on the bleachers with some of the parents, and one of the parents asked me, Is that your boy? And I said, no, that brat's not mine, thank God, you know. <laughs> he's not mine. And the guy sitting beside me who asked me the question, he said, well, he said, see that kid out there in left field? He said, that's, uh, that's my son. He says, man, you should see him swing swinging back. There's another lady sitting up kind of this way. she said, see that little short fella playing shortstop? She says, yeah, that's, he's my son. He's fast. He's got a great arm on him. It's like all these parents just start, like, telling me about their kids. I'm like, I didn't ask you about your kids, you know, but they just did. Just did. Just did. You know what those parents are saying? It's mine. He's mine. proud of him. He's mine. In my mind's eyes, I see this text unfold in real life today. I could almost see God saying, you see that young middle school girl who maybe isn't the prettiest girl or the smartest girl and doesn't get a whole lot of attention, but every morning she wakes up and spends time with me because she just really trusts me, believes I am who I say I am, and she's really trying to live for me in a real tough place. See that young teenage boy who goes to a school where everybody else is chasing after girls and chasing after popularity and drugs and messing around and playing church games. But he really is the kind of guy who'll stand up and say, that's enough. And he's trying to walk with me by his grace. He's mine. You see that lady who's a, stay-at-home mom when their family probably really could use some extra money if she'd go to work, but she really feels like God's called her to be home with her kids, and man, she doesn't seem to have enough time today to get stuff done, but she's trying to be a godly mom and pour the truth of God in her kids and teach her things of God be faithful to her husband and miss her home. She's mine. You see that single mom who's working a couple jobs and trying to make ends meet and dude checked out, but she's trying to do things right and the best she can and just kind of, but she's in the Word, she's in a Bible study, and she's just trying to serve and be You see that senior adult when all their peers are kind of checking out on me right now and they're kind of just going to watch the leaves change and stuff like that. But they're really asking God, how do you want to use me? And I want every breath of my life to count for you. And they're praying for those kids and praying for those grandkids and praying for the church and encouraging their pastor and they're cooking the suppers and they're doing. They're mine. When you and I, by faith, trust the character and the nature of God, we just say, God, I just want to walk with you. It blesses the heart of the God of all creation. Can I say to some of you folks this week, we've talked a lot about what needs to be changed. There's some of you who, by God's grace, you're walking with Him. Can I encourage you? Say, attaboy, <laughs> that's not a shame. There's some of you this week who've said, by faith and found a place There's this altar and said, God, I'm drawing a circle right here. And I'm asking you, God, to make me into the man you have called me to be, to grow me into the woman you have called me to be. It blesses the heart of God. And tonight, I believe the Spirit of God is saying to some of you, I died to save you. I spilt my blood to pay for your sins. I know everything that you have done or will ever do. And the word says, but God demonstrated his love for us. And that while... We were yet sinners. Christ died. He proved his love by dying for you. No other religion or belief system on the planet teaches that the only way you are made right by God is a gift from God. Every other one says you've got to be good enough and somehow do the scales and hopefully the good things outweigh the bad stuff. The Bible says that your best, your righteousness, is filthy rags to God. You and I cannot do enough to be as good or as holy as a holy God. And so he sent his son to die for you, to pay for your sins, to offer you the gift of salvation by faith alone, through grace alone. And tonight, in just a moment, we're going to stand and begin to sing. And when we do, ministers from this church will be right down here at the front. And tonight, you might say, you know what, I want to know that peace of knowing that I'm right with God. I want the peace of knowing that I'm forgiven. I want to put my head on my pillow at night tonight and know, you know what, I am right with God. Amen. by God's grace, one day I'm going to heaven. We stand and begin to sing, I'm going to encourage you to do what some other folks are going to do. And that's just to get up out of your seat and to make your way down to the front and take one of these ministers by the hand and say, I want Jesus in my life. I need God's forgiveness. I want a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. There are others of you who might say, you know, I know I'm saved. There's been evidences of fruit in my life. But the truth of the matter is, I'm not walking with him right now. I don't know that I could say I'm the sinner of God's will. It may not be bad stuff. It's just stuff. I have other things become more important to me than just being right with him. And tonight, you might need to find a place here at this altar. Grab one of these pastors and say, would you pray for me? Or as a family, God, we're making some real serious decisions. I feel like we've kind of left you out of the process. God, would you forgive us? And we're coming to you in a fresh way, asking for your direction. God, I don't want to get ahead of you. And God, I don't want to get behind you. Whatever God is saying to you tonight, I pray that all of us would respond in the same way. Yes. Yes. Let's pray together. Would you bow your head and close your eyes and pray with me?